Alexander the Great Podcast, episode 13. Thank you to everyone who's written a review. Thank you to everyone who's sharing the podcast, because someone is sharing it, because I can see more and more people are are downloading it. Thank you, everyone, so much. Thank you for donating. Thank you for writing a review. If you write a review and it's read out on the podcast, you're going to receive a gift from me all the way from Greece. Today's episode, we're going to be talking about Aristotle. Aristotle was a heck of a man. I mean, a whole podcast could be dedicated just to the works of Aristotle. Uh, I'm going to do just two episodes. Alexander would often say that though Philip gave him life, Aristotle taught him the good life. Zin ke f zin, they would have said. So zin is life and f zin is the good life, which he was taught by Aristotle. He was a great man. Um, let's look a bit at his work. Thank you. Bye-bye. Let's talk about the first true influencer, Aristotle, in Greek Aristoteles, the philosopher with the biggest influence in science, philosophy and many other things as we're going to see. He for sure is one of the most famous philosophers of all time. But why, you may ask? Well, he studied many subjects in his lifetime, such as poetry, political science, zoology, psychology, and was the first person in history to keep an archive for what he was studying. We know he knows he was the first person to do so, as we see in his works on the soul. He starts off by acknowledging there is no other work like this, so let me explain to you what the subject is. And then he talks about what other philosophers have said, making him the first historian of philosophy. He was a pioneer in all aspects of human knowledge. He was the first person to write about everything. Of course, he was writing his own truths. Some he got right, others not so much. He was the first person to observe that the planet Mars is behind the moon because he had noticed the moon pass over Mars. This proves to some people that he had amazing eyesight. He was the first empirical philosopher of the Western world. The Indians around 600 BC were working on something. So we finally found something the Greeks didn't do first. Uh, by empirical, I mean he who acts according to his or her experiences alone. Empirical comes from the Greek word ebiria, meaning experience. But first, are you experienced? Have you ever been experienced? Well, I am, maybe. Um, other famous empirical philosophers are John Locke, Spinoza, Hume and many others. Quite a bit of Aristotle's work has been lost. But we have, but what we have is amazing in scope. We have his theoretical and very ph philosophical in nature work like the metaphysics, the Nicomachean ethics, his books on politics and so on. But we also have his work on zoology, which shows us that Aristotle was very cu curious to see what animals look like on the inside. He didn't mind getting his hands dirty. Whatever he found, he would write it down. This is where the spleen is, the testicle, the stomach, and that's how the science of zoology was started. Being the first zoologist, he was the first to realize dolphins were mammals. He also created logic. 
Seems a bit strange to think of a world without logic, but he was the first to say if A is true and B is true, then C must be true. For example, all men are mortal. Socrates is a man, therefore Socrates is mortal. We can see how he arrived at the conclusion that dolphins are mammals, right? Mammals don't lay eggs, dolphins don't lay eggs, therefore dolphins are mammals. He was the first to study literature in his poetics, which is still being studied today in many universities. This you don't see often. A philosopher of that time talking kindly of poetry and art. Plato, Aristotle's teacher, as we will soon see, had famously banished poets from his perfect state that he describes in his Republic, which is a little bit unfair of me to just mention an entire book can be written describing why plato would decide to do so mostly because it's a paradox we are reading about plato's opinion on the perfect government from a fictional discussion socrates had with a bunch of people that didn't even live in the same time frame if plato is against work that comes from a literary form why is he using it to put his ideas forward you know, I know I'm going from one extreme to another, but as um, uh, one of my many role models, Jordan Peterson says, it's in the extremes we can find the truth, you know, something like that. Plato was a student of Socrates. All his work, or what we have left, are in a form of dialogue. Plato's protagonist, for the most part, was Socrates. Plato was incredibly masterful about giving us information about Socrates' philosophy and his own. Even today, many people confuse the point of view of the two. Socrates did not believe in writing books. He thought it was more important to teach philosophy rather than writing it. A book can't answer, you, can't answer back at you. It can't correct you if you're saying something wrong. So Socrates, to teach himself and his students, would wander around the market and the gyms of Athens and would ask renowned Athenian citizens about you know, various questions and various subjects, such as what is fair, what is virtue, what is love, and other similar things. And always, at least in Plato's work, the person Socrates was having a discussion with would come clean at some point and say, you know what, Socrates, I actually don't know what I'm talking about. Please tell me. And then Socrates would give his answer depending on how the other person responded to his previous questions, leaving the other guy in a probably more confused state he was before their talk. For example, Socrates asked a man called Ephidimus if he thinks deception is immoral. Of course, yes, says Ephidimus. Yes, but, says Socrates, what if your friend is threatening to kill himself, and you steal his knife? You have deceived him, yes? Yes, says Ephemus. Do you think this action is immoral? No, says Ephemus. So you were wrong to think that deceit was wrong and immoral. Um, <laughs> it would go on like this. Uh, until they reached what is truly an act of deception, or what it means to be deceptive. Another time, Socrates was talking to a military general, the general thought he knew what it meant to be courageous. After a long conversation, he left feeling confused and probably pissed off at Socrates for messing up his mind. And it's this kind of stuff he would pull off. Uh, he would pull on a man called Melitos, 
and he then took him to court in the year 399. Socrates was 70 years old and was accused of corrupting the minds of the youth, which, as I've said before, probably means he was fucking them and not giving the appropriate attention to the city's gods. Even though he could have convinced the jury of his innocence, he definitely had the brain power to do so, he decides to play it crazy and he says, I have told the brightest minds of Athens, I should have my meals paid by the state. You are lucky to have me. You know, looking back at it now, he was right. He was the most important philosopher of his time. So much so that any philosopher before him was simply known as pre-Socratic, as a pre-Socratic philosopher. As Cicero said, it was Socrates who brought philosophy down from the heavens. In the end, the Athenians didn't agree with him and forced him to commit suicide by drinking a poison made out of hemlock. All his students loved him dearly and continued to spread his teachings. We today still have the works of Xenophon, Xenophodos in Greek, and Plato or Platon in Greek. And also it's Socrates. It's not Socrates, Socrates. Uh, and now let's talk uh, a bit about Plato. A man by the name of Alfred North Whitehead has beautifully summed up Plato's influence on the world of philosophy. He said, The safest general characterization of European philosophy, of European philosophical tradition, is that it consists of a series of footnotes to Plato. Plato thought there was a second world. So, along with the world we live in and talk in and feel and fuck and do all the other amazing great things we do, another world that can't be touched. It's not a material world, so we can't actually see it, but we can form it in our minds. Plato's world of forms. For example, think about a triangle. Now, you can't see in nature the perfect triangle that's in your mind. But simply the fact that you can see it in your mind, you can then draw it, measure it, and do a bunch of other things. This triangle exists in your mind. The image of that triangle, Plato would say, it exists in the world of forms. In Greek, he would have said kosmos ton ideon, which uh, translates as ideas, so the world of ideas, but everyone is saying world of forms, so I'm sticking to that. So, in the form or idea of a triangle, it's much easier to study and come to conclusions about triangles. So, you can study it and understand it better. So, if it's better to study and understand geometry and maths in the world of forms, we should do the same with everything we encounter in everyday life. For example, what does it mean to be fair? We would be better off studying what is fair in the world of forms because we would understand it better rather than waiting to find it in the real world. One of Plato's famous stories is the allegory of the cave, which we see in his Republic. If we were to imagine a cave with men in it, men that are bound, so they're tied up and have no contact with the real world, the only thing they see is light that is controlled by guards. So the guards, being nice people, decide to entertain the prisoners. So they make animal shapes and other things. So they take these shapes, hold them in front of a fire. The shadow they create falls on a wall. And this shadow then becomes reality 
for the prisoners. If one of those prisoners managed to break his chains and go to the real world, he would see, after his eyes would get used to the sunlight, that the shadows aren't the real world. He would look at the sun and know that is what's responsible for the shadows. If he was to then return to the cave to set free the other prisoners, he would have forgotten what it's like to see the shadows and think this is reality. The other prisoners, who are still stuck in the cave and are unable or unwilling to escape, would think he's mad and would violently push him away so they can stay in their world. We, as humans, are the prisoners, with the few senses we have. We understand the world however we understand it. We cannot understand the real world because we can't actually see it. And this is where we have the biggest difference between Aristotle and Plato. Aristotle believed the real world, so what we see with our eyes and touch with our hands is the world we have to study, and not the world of forms. That's why almost half of Aristotle's books are about biology and animals. Raphael's painting, The School of Athens, does an amazing job at summarizing each man's philosophy. I have a picture on Facebook you can see, or if you can just Google The School of Athens by Raphael, it should come up. Uh, Plato is pointing his fingers towards the sky, so the world of forms, and Aristotle towards the earth. Aristotle's books are named according to what he's going to talk about. You know you're reading about meteorology because you're reading Aristotle's book called Meteorology. <laughs> when you're reading his rhetoric, you know you're reading a book that is studying the art of rhetoric. His Nicomachean Ethics and his Evdemian Ethics are books that are going to study if you want to learn more about ethics. This is completely different to what Plato did. He would write about what ethics what ethics is amongst other subjects and he would usually name his books depending on who are the main characters such as Phaedon, Gorgias, Memnon and many others. Of course there are the famous exceptions like the Republic, the Symposium and the Laws. So having said all that let's look at who this Aristotle guy was. Vroom, can you hear a motorcycle go? It's like he's farting along. Uh, we get a lot of those in Greece. Anyway, who was Aristotle? Aristotle, he was a son of a doctor. And not just any doctor, but doctor to the king of Macedon. Amindas II, father of Philip, so Alexander's granddaddy. It is indeed very possible that Philip and Aristotle were, would, hang, would hang around. You know, they, were, they, would, uh, they would be buddies when they were little. Or at the very least, they were aware of each other's existence. Aristotle's dad was named Nicomachos and his mom Festiava, and he was born in Stagira. Now, as many Greeks of that era, um, they wanted to show that they were related to some great hero. Alexander, I remind you, is related to Hercules from his dad's side and to Achilles from his mother's side. Aristotle was a descendant of Machaonas, who was the child of Asclepios, god of medicine. Aristotle was also the youngest of three. His brother was called Arimnistos and his sister was called Arimnisti. When he was 12 years old, his parents died and his sister and brother-in-law, whose name is Proxenos, take care of little Aristotle. It's mostly Proxenos who tutored him. That's until he was 17 years old and he is sent to Athens 
so he can study in Plato's academy. Students there are taught philosophy, maths and astronomy. The way students were taught here was different when compared to other schools. In the academy, Plato, Plato, <laughs> Plato would present his students with a problem and then he would encourage them through dialogue to find the truth. In the academy, Aristotle will start off as a student and will eventually become a teacher. He will stay there for 20 years until Plato dies in 347. Now, Aristotle was the greatest student Plato ever had, but he was not made director of the academy. This role was given to Plato's nephew, Spepsipos. Apparently, Aristotle was pissed off about this, so when he gets an invitation from Hermias, he thinks, why not? So he welcomes a new challenge. Now, this guy Hermias, <laughs> he has an amazing story. He was a eunuch, meaning his balls were chopped off or something along those lines. He did also other tricks, I think, anyway. And he was a slave to Evolos, who was a banker and tyrant of Atarna in Asia Minor, opposite Lesbos. He was freed by his master and sent to Plato's academy and became close friends with Aristotle. And then when Evolos dies, so his former master, he, Hermias, <laughs> takes charge of governing Atarna. What incredible <laughs> life this person had. And uh, anyway, let's get back to our story life. It was 347, I remind you, right? This was when Athens was sending embassies to various Greek cities, asking them if they can help against Philip. So there are hostile feelings towards foreigners like Aristotle. So he bounces off to Athena and stays there for three years. He teaches philosophy, mostly by observing the natural world. He gets along well with Hermias. Apparently, he convinces him to have a gentler and fairer tyranny. Aristotle also married his daughter, Pythiava. Don't ask me how eunuchs have daughters. <laughs> maybe she was adopted or maybe she was his niece or something crazy like that. But that's what they say anyway. And they have their own daughter, Pythiava the Younger. Hermias had heard that Philip was planning a campaign against the Persians and his goal was to liberate some Greek cities. So he forms an alliance with Philip. The Persians find out about this and have Hermias crucified motherfuckers. He was arrested by Memnon, one of Alexander's greatest future enemies. There's a story that he waited silently and stoically and agreed only to talk to the king of Persia. And uh, then he only said, when apparently he met the great king, he only said a single phrase, tell my friends and companions that I haven't done anything that would go against philosophy. Yeah, that's a nice story, but I doubt they had the king come all the way over from Persia just so Hermias would have that one amazing line. But, but fear not, he had managed to tell Philip that he should hire Aristotle as, a, as a young Alexander's tutor. Aristotle left Athena before the Persians arrived and went to the opposite island, Lesbos. He's going to stay in Lesbos for two years. He spends most of his time studying the creatures of the sea. 
He would note his personal experience with each animal by dissecting fish, mollusks, clams, anything he can get his hands on, along with the knowledge of local fishermen. This Plato would have never done. He thought only philosophers had the ability to search for the truth and not ordinary people. Aristotle wrote, Those who have close contact with nature's phenomena are better at defining those principles, seeing that they may associate them by covering a wider spectrum. And just like that, the science of biology was created by placing each animal in groups and species. He had the help of his then-wife, Pithyada, who specializes in biology and embryology. While he's in Lesbos, he's going to meet his very good friend, Theophrastos. It has been said that these two had a homophilic relationship, but it hasn't been proven. In 343, Philip asks Aristotle if he would tutor Alexander. He agrees, but first he has to rebuild Stagira. Philip says, okay, you know, he destroyed it, he might as well build it back up. We don't unfortunately have information about what Aristotle taught Alexander. We know the classes were held not in Pella, Macedonia's capital, which you can't really deny would be a more comfortable place. He takes the gang, so uh, Alexander's friend, Ptolemy, Nerchos, Festionus, and many others, so not just Alexander, to Mieza, a shrine of the nymphs, more specifically Midas's garden. And yes, King Midas, Midas, uh, that crazy king who wished that anything he touched would turn to gold. His dad, Gorgias, comes from Macedonia. It's a long story. But anyway, yes, somewhere around there. And it's all connected. From Plutarch, we learned that it was Philip's idea to have them take lessons so far away from home. Google shows us that it's an eight-hour walk, probably to have Alexander take a break from his mother. The two, Philip and Olibiada, are not having the best of times. Their marriage is going through tough times. She is demeaning Philip in front of Alex. So he's like, well, fuck you, bitch. I'm taking him away from you for a bit. Uh, Philip was getting ready to campaign in Thrace. He was going to be gone for a while. Maybe he was concerned about leaving Alexander with his mom for such a long time you know, leave them alone long enough and they could plot an assassination against him, possibly. Alexander's tutoring under Aristotle will last three years. Philip will eventually call for Alexander so he can be put second in command, answering only to Philip. As I've already said, we don't know why Aristotle taught Alexander. Also, we can't be sure that what Aristotle has written now, so what we have from him today is what he thought then and what he taught Alexander. We know the lessons were done while walking. This is why Aristotle this is what Aristotle liked, hence the name of his later school, the Peripatetics, Peripatitiki in Greek. Peripatos means walking. Also as a term, peripatetic is associated with Aristotelian philosophy. But there's nothing stopping us from studying Aristotle's philosophy and get an idea about, about what they were possibly learning. So from 343 to 340, he was teaching Alexander. From 340 to 336, we don't have much information about his life. 
Possibly he was living in Illyria and Epirus with Theophrastos and worked on his philosophy. In 338, Plato's nephew Spepsippos died, and again Aristotle was not made director of the academy. In 336, the same year Philip died and Alexander was made king, he moved to Athens and started his peripatetics school in the Lyceum of Athens. Most people say Aristotle's Lyceum, but as a term it was already being used. The Lyceum was a temple of Apollo, Apollo that was born or that was born of a wolf. The Greek word for wolf is Lykos. As a location, it was used by Plato, Socrates, and Isocrates to have philosophical discussions. To have philosophical discussions, and it was also used as a gym. But with a loan from Alexander, some say it was equivalent to four million dollars, Aristotle opens his very own school. Contrary to Plato's academy, which you would have to pay to be able to attend, Aristotle offered a number of lessons for free and only a selected few courses would be available to paying students. It was never really seen as a better school when compared to Plato's academy, but it was close. While Alexander campaigned in Asia, he would be in contact with Aristotle. He would send him various animals and plants. His goal was to give his curious old tutor something to study, which I'm sure he appreciated, but the result was the creation of the world's first herb garden and the first zoo. Talk about a happy accident, right? In the next episode, we're going to look more specifically at uh, uh, more, more specific works of Aristotle. See you next time. But let's read a the winning review for this uh, episode. The title is Charming, Informative and Occasionally Hysterical. The story of Alexander the Great told by a Greek in is a terrific spin on the history we've already been exposed to. Simply hearing Greek names and the names of figures from the his history pronounced in the proper way is really cool. When you add in the fact that the host is charming and knowledgeable and often utterly hilarious when he lapses into British and American slang in trying to describe circumstances of the moment in, in the ancient world, you have an absolute win over podcast. Wow, thanks, man. One note for parents who might have younger listeners in the house. There is profanity in this podcast. Hell yeah. Uh, sprinkled in here. Uh, like spice Sprink sprinkled here in there like spice thanks man but most of it is used to make a point thank you I drop my own share of f-bombs f-bombs every single day but I thought I'd mention it for anyone who has a very young listeners yes absolutely who would be interested in the subject matter five stars thank you Bazui Mag, Baz, I wish I could pronounce that anyway from the United States of America send me an email alexandros.cast at gmail.com or you can find me on um, Facebook Alexander the Great Podcast thank you very much what an amazing review thank you see you in the next episode guys bye bye